us. From Ephesians chapter 4, the first 16 verses. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Thanks, Jim. Morning, everybody. Maybe you can take a stretch, stand up and stretch and turn around or do something. We've been sitting for a bit. I felt it in my back, so stretch a little bit. As we head into the Word, um, let's just pray that um, let's pray that the Holy Spirit gives us a capacity to have the attention we need for the next uh, little bit, shall we? I sometimes need that. You know, yesterday we sat through a day of meetings, and you've heard that a few times, and I found myself praying sometimes, help me listen, help me listen, help me listen. You know. Oh, he thought I was sleeping, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, you were snoring next to me. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your word. Recognize that it is to us, like Jim reminded us, your word is for us. It's to us. It's for our edification, for our growth, for our encouragement. And Holy Spirit, we invite you now to, um, to move in us. Open our hearts where they're closed. Uh, open our ears where they're tired or our minds where they're a little, little bit lethargic. Enable us to hear you this morning by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in our Ephesians, um, in our Ephesians theme at the moment and we're halfway through the book. If you've been in church in the last couple of weeks, you've seen we've been talking about all the riches that God has given us in Christ and just how, and how abundant they are. 
And the first half of the book has been just an elaborate um, explanation of those things, helping us understand them, seeing it from different angles, uh, reminders um, of all the riches we've been given in Christ. And, and Paul is talking now not only to Jews, because the Jews kind of jealously held that and felt like they were, and they were God's people, but Paul's just revealing that the Gentiles are part of it as well. And that, that they have all been given every spiritual blessing, as have we. Um, and we're all one in Christ and all adopted. And, and there are no more barriers between the different kinds of people that the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for all men. All objects of God's love, all made holy, all called, all filled. And last week we talked about being filled with the fullness of God. Did you think about that a little bit of the week? Who, okay, I'm going to ask again. I asked last week, who read Ephesians this week or had a little bit of a peek in it at least? And who was wondering about being filled with the fullness of God? Who tried to raise the dead during the week? Remember we talked about that last week? Nobody. Because if you do, I want to have a, you need to do a testimony up here, you know? So if it works, that is. But Paul's purpose has been to encourage the Ephesian church because it was difficult for them. A body of believers that have a call right there in Ephesus. And perhaps it wasn't the place that they thought was the best place for them to be a church. I don't know. Because the city was hostile to their faith and hostile to their values. It was a society in its time that you would have called progressive. In lots of different ways, there were so many different temptations, so many attractive things in society for the average human being, so many tempting things economically. And we talked earlier in the thing about how it was an economical trading center, how you could make big bucks if you were savvy, and if you could cut corners, and if you knew what you were doing, you could make a whole lot of money. Some of those things were very attractive. It was a very progressive society sexually with the, the, the Temple of Artemis and the way that they dealt with, with sex and relationships, in ethics, um, in the art world, in government, in all sorts of areas. So it was this kind of, it was, it was a place for the church to exist that was kind of hostile, hostile to their faith and values. And there was a lot going on outside the church and was beginning to creep into the church that was tempting and causing them to kind of wonder about and, and, and maybe compromise sometimes. And I guess in that context, it may have been and it would be easy to lose sight as a follower of Christ. Easy to lose sight of God. Easy to be led to compromise. Easy sometimes to, to lose heart and, and keep up the good fight. And it would be much easier to go with the flow. We understand that kind of thing, don't we? in the world that we live in, in the challenges that we have in schools, in, in all sorts of realms. But Paul loved them greatly and he knows that they have a call. And he knows that God has a plan for them and he knows that God will use them. And he knows that they can be and they will be an influence for him in Ephesus, in that place. That God's church will prevail. And there's, and there's a purpose to his reminder that they're not alone. That they're equipped with everything that they need. That they're, in, in, you know, they're indwelled by God himself. They're ready to be ambassadors, true witnesses for Christ. And as Jim said, this word, this word, these words are for us too. These words are to the church, aren't they? However, for that work to work on the outside, for, for the, to work on the outside, something has to happen on the inside. And Paul starts chapter 4 with what I would call a little bit of housekeeping, if you like. His first port of call is to urge unity in the body of Christ. 
to urge them to, to have unity. Unity is the, the conduit, if you like, or unity is the thing that the world is going to see, the thing that it's going to build was certainly for the local expression in the church in Ephesus. He was talking to them particularly because unity was being challenged. But it has a much wider and a much broader application for them and for definitely for us. The body is the whole church worldwide. The body is the whole church nationwide, citywide, suburb-wide. When, when we talk about the body of Christ, we're not just thinking, this is a local expression of the body of Christ, we're not just thinking of our church, we're talking about believers worldwide, the body of Christ. And if these riches are true in the first three chapters, and they are, and if this great calling that Paul talks about is, is true and, and that it comes with the resources and the equipping and the anointing and that it is true, then you have to work, walk in a way worthy of that calling. You've got to rep it well. Now what I mean by that, when you represent something, you know, if you represent you know, a government in another country or if you represent a company, you rep it well. You, actually, you, you, rep, you represent the values of the company uh, if you're representing someone or uh, your family in some way, you rep it well. The reputation of the person that you are an ambassador for, whether that's a business or a family or even a church, is on you. And Paul's saying, all these things are true. You, know, you have all the riches and there's a calling you have. Now you need to walk in a way that's worthy of that calling, that actually reps it well. Careful, though, it's not to earn favour or add salvation because that was a particular area of conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles. What do you need to do to, you know, you can remember the Council of Jerusalem and the constant bickering about do you get circumcised or you're not circumcised, so you're probably this far out, you know. So it's not to earn favour. You don't rep well to earn favour. It's out of gratitude for the riches. We don't walk worthy so that God will love us. We walk worthy because he does love us, because he loved us. It's motivated out of gratitude, not out of a desire to earn merit. And again, if that's going to work on the outside, it has to work on the inside. And, and maybe even that's the place to start. It needs to work on the inside first. So Paul wants to talk about unity in Christ. You know, in, the first, in chapter 4 and even in these first 16 verses, there is so many sermons and there are so many ways that you could go and so many details. And we're going to sort of step back and helicopter a little bit and just look at how Paul wants to talk about unity in the body of Christ. Because unity is the context and the conduit for God's glory in the world and that's important. Now in the church, sure, you know, Paul had talked about the barriers were down, you know, the barriers are down now, you're all, you know, you're all saved, Jews, Gentiles, and, and there were even a few Romans, you know, a few Romans that surreptitiously or had become, uh, had heard the word and, and become Christians as well. And, and the barriers are down, like I said, Jews, Gentiles, Romans, but humans are humans, aren't they? Cliques don't instantly disappear, do they? People, groups, ideas, the way we do things. And so, you know, that can, and, and you can imagine the Jews and the Gentiles had been apart for so long, and particularly if there were some Romans that had become part of the church. Sure, Paul can say the barriers are down, we're all one now, let's just hold hands and sing kumbaya, but it doesn't work like that, does it? Suspicion, different opinions, mistrust, those sorts of things don't instantly dissolve. 
You know, there were cultural uh, differences, practice differences, the way they practiced um, following God, the way that their family might have done it. There were religious differences. You know, we talked about circumcision, the food that you eat and don't eat, the way that you do things and when you do things. And there were perhaps even theological differences and conflicts in areas of spiritual gifts and those sorts of things. You can imagine all of those things existing in a church where people come together from different contexts, remembering that people are different as well. So Paul calls for unity. What he doesn't call for, and this is important to know, he doesn't call for uniformity, he calls for unity. What does that mean? He doesn't call for unity in practice or unity in opinion, or unity in ideas, or ways to do things. Notice the words, he calls for unity in the spirit. We might be different. Different ends of the spectrum. In the way we we deal with things, or we think of things. But we've all been given the same spirit. Paul talks about we've been given the same spirit. It's the same need to find unity. There's only one Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one God and Father. And I like that our church gets a mention in there. Did you say that one hope? <laughs> Paul knew what was coming, didn't he? We are so in line with, the God, with God, aren't we? No. Unity, he's not calling for uniformity in practice. He's not saying, I need you to all think the same now. I need you to all have the same opinion. I need you to all to, to have the same religious practices. I need you all to, to approach things from the same uh, way or to think theologically the same. I am calling you to unity in the Spirit because you are all indwelled by the one Spirit. Grace was given to each of us. God has gifted each of us in specific and different ways to serve one God. And they, the church, needed to check their hearts. They needed to tidy their house up so that they would be ready to walk in a way worthy. And walking in a way worthy means that they would have impact in the place that they were. Now this analogy isn't really lost on us, is it? It's very easy to make the connections to, to us in the modern church nowadays. We don't only have differences within our churches... We have differences amongst churches. You know, we've heard a few times today, John and I were in a, a meeting yesterday with other Reformed churches, and even in that small group, there are differences. There are differences the way that one church does things and we do things, and, and there's a spectrum, and some are at this end of the spectrum and some are the others. We don't only have differences within our churches, but also amongst churches, between denominations. And yet we're called to do our best to keep this unity. We don't create unity god never commands us to create unity among believers he created it by his spirit we had to find it in his spirit together and keep it because it's our testimony as followers of christ and this is a spiritual unity and it's not necessarily a structural or denominational unity but when it's there it's evident in quick fellowship. You know, when Christians get together, you have this connection and you might not be from the same church or uh, you might be from the same denomination but different churches or even totally different. But when you're, when you're Christians together, you have something common that you can talk about. That's that unity in the spirit. And even different cultures and races and languages if you've been to other countries. And how many of you have been in a country where you've sat through a church service where you didn't understand a word of the songs they sung or the word of the sermon Occasionally you hear something that sounds a bit like Jesus and you think, oh, I'm in the right place. 
But, but you, you know that there's a warmth. You know that there's something there that we're all serving and worshipping the same God, even though we're using different languages. And we're, we might be doing it differently. In Africa, the worship set, you think the worship set went for a reasonable amount of time? In Africa, the worship set takes about the first hour, maybe hour and a half up and say well that was wonderful let's have an offering and then let's have some more worship during the offering you know and it goes on again but that's how that that, but yet you know that we're all worshiping the one god in the one spirit and we have that unity we don't have uniformity but we have that unity spurgeon did a sermon on this to show you a few have put up a few quotes and he said um first one first in the start of it, it Earlier in the sermon, he said, structural unity could even work against true unity of the Spirit in some cases. We might even see a purpose God has in preventing a structural unity of the church right now to keep misdirected efforts of the church, such as ambitions for political power, from fulfilment. He pointed out a few things that this text does not say. He said it does not say to endeavour to maintain the unity of evil, the unity of superstition or the unity of spiritual tyranny. It does not say endeavouring to keep up your ecclesiastical arrangements for centralisation. I wonder what that says about synod. It does not say endeavouring to keep the uniformity of the spirit. And then he went on. He said, It is not a desirable thing that all churches should melt into one another and become one. For the complete fusion of all churches into one ecclesiastical corporation would inevitably produce another form of popery. Since history teaches us that large ecclesiastical bodies grow more or less corrupt as a matter of course. He was pretty harsh on some of that stuff. And finally he finished by saying this. We want unity in the truth of God through the spirit of God. This let us seek after. Let us live near to Christ, for this is the best way of promoting unity. Divisions in churches never begin with those that are full of the love of the Saviour. Do you got that up there? You do. Interesting sermon. Spurgeon is quite a surprising man in some places. He knew how to use the gospel to talk to the day. But he understood that, like Paul, that the unity in the church was not the same as uniformity, and we needed to find it in the Spirit. You know, as one hope, God has given us a calling right now, at this point in history, in this town, in this city, in this society, with all that's happening around us in society. Each of us as individuals are are called, and together as a body we're called, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, to rep God well to the world around us. You know, and even within our own church, we might think or, or operate differently um, or, or desire differently at times. You know, we, we might have cliques or groups or preferences or, or differences, and they remain in churches, even in our church. We have different gifts and talents, maybe different ideas of what's more important. You know, should we lean more to the worship or more to the word? Should we, you know, should the money be important? Should the announcements be important? Should we be doing more Bible studies? Should we do, you know, should we do exegetical sermons or topical sermons that's something we talk about in the office sometimes we might have different ways of looking at things we might have different thoughts on leadership and authority and as a reformed church we might approach and interpret things in a way that differs from other churches and denominations baptism 
Interesting, Paul talks about one baptism. Maybe it's not about the style. We might do things differently. We might have a different worship style. We might have a different thoughts on mission or, or theological mainstays. And that's all okay. That's okay. You see, unfortunately, too often the world gets to see the dirty laundry or the negative opinions that we as Christians can often air about other leaders, other denominations, or people that aren't like us. And, and I guess it starts in school when kids aren't like other kids or groups are groups form. We can, you know, unfortunately, the church can be guilty of that too. You know, this week, how many of you would have heard, you would have heard that Brian Houston was stood down from the church. Um, probably a good thing, you know, for in terms of that. But online, there's Christians that are now having a shot at him, but not only having a shot at him, now starting to talk about, you see that church and their theology is bad and, and this and, and judging and all. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I might not agree with them, but is that what we need to do? This week I was watching a... Um, how many of you know John MacArthur? Probably at the other end of the spectrum, a conservative speaker. I was listening to a sermon of his and some people commented on that and Christians were, were bagging him out and saying, yeah, his theology is this and that. And, and I'm thinking, do you know what? This does not make God look great. I may not agree with everything of either of those men and others. But as Christians, we're to find unity in the spirit. That doesn't make God look great. That doesn't bring glory to God. And these are the kind of things that were potentially playing in the church in Ephesus. So what have they got to do? What does Paul say they have to do? How do we practice and how do they practice and maintain that unity in the absence sometimes of uniformity of the same thinking? What about for us, even in our own church here in, in, at One Hope or our denomination or even maybe in your family circles, that we have family that go to different churches? Well, Paul makes it really clear. He uses some really key words that we could have a whole sermon about. He uses words like humility. That'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? Humility. I perhaps I don't know at all. Maybe John MacArthur is cleverer than me. He does understand more than me. You know, maybe I don't have it all worked out. Gentleness. You know, maybe I need to be a little bit more loving and gentle to people like Brian Houston and other churches that I, I find that I can't agree with so much, or I, I, I might look down on patience. Maybe I need to be patient with people in my own church. You know, that want to do things differently than me. That want to, you know, profile things differently than me. Maybe I need to be more patient. He said, bearing with one another in love. Those are strong words. When you bear with one another, that means that you pay a price. That you'll carry it. That you'll carry one another in love. That love will cause you to bear with differences, even though it might be tough for you. Even though you might not like it. And being eager to maintain unity. There's another word, eager. We don't use that. Are you eager to maintain unity? Do you kind of look for that or if it happens, we cheer it on, but you know that's someone else's job? Eager to maintain unity in the spirit. Translation of that would be to look for it, to focus on what we do have in common. One God. We have the same saviour and we needed the same salvation. Every one of us sitting here needed the same Jesus to do the same, to make the same sacrifice, to shed the same blood, to break his body for every single one of us. Didn't we? I did. 
This testifies and gives glory to God. You know, the world can look anywhere for conflict. The world can look anywhere for disagreement. Just turn the first page of the Age, Herald Sun, or whatever newspaper you read, or click on the first. The world can look anywhere for conflict. The world can look anywhere for your opinion or your disagreement. And they can see oppression. But we, the church, we, the followers of Christ, must be the one place that they can't find or see those things because we're different, right? We're saved. The local church has a great purpose. The gathering of God's people is important for so many reasons, and this was true for the church in Ephesus, but it is for us too. The local church is not just a place to go on a Sunday if it works, or if it fits into your schedule, or if it's not too busy, or if there aren't other more important things calling you. It's not just a place to gather and sing some songs. It's not just a place to meet some spiritual obligations or practices. It's the place ordained by God to grow us up. Did you notice at the end of that? The church is the place that God ordained to grow us up, to mature us, to make us strong, to teach us about unity. So we can be a young tennis player, a young um, year seven or year eight, um, I would go to training, and I've probably told this story before, haven't I? But bear with me, just, you know, I'm an old guy, just, you know, my stories. I went to training, and I wanted to get better. But when I played the kids that were in my own D grade, I think I was in D grade because that was the lowest you could get. When I played my own kids in D grade, I, A grade, the older guys, I wanted to play against them because it was harder. They didn't want to play against me so much, but I wanted to play against them. But what it does is it made me better because you aspire to be better. You, you challenge yourself. I had to practice to get better. The church has given us to practice unity, to practice that unity in the spirit, to, to practice that, that f- the fact that we have, we have one call out there. This is, this is a place we practice that. God has uniquely equipped the church and the people in it to achieve this. And seemingly without the church... We're exposed. We become open to being misled. Seriously misled. Did you read some of those words? They're not, little, they're not small words. Carried away by every wind of doctrine. By human cunning. Sounds like a movie, doesn't it? By human cunning or craftiness and deceitful schemes. It sounds like an internet scam. That's the language Paul uses. Seemingly the church is a place that protects us from that. You and You and I... Work together. You protect me from that. Exposed. And we see Paul address that in the second part in verse 14, which I just read that. So the church, the body of Christ, is given for our protection to preserve us. Have you ever considered that one hope is your protection? Have you ever thought about that? That Maybe the local church is given to you for your protection to, to help you to stay on track and to be safe? Think about it. Maybe the church is more than just singing songs and that sort of stuff. For this to happen, for the believers in the church at Ephesus, it was going to take surrender and submission. And I think as humans, that's what it takes, isn't it? When unity is being threatened, when there's, when there's ways that we there goes, no one was standing. Was any kids squashed under that? No, that's good. It takes surrender and submission. When it's, a, when it's an area where we've got to find unity where we might not think the same, and for the church in Ephesus, it was going to take surrender and submission because the divisions express, express themselves 
in competition. In that church, there was a competition for gifts, uh, a lack of submission to authority, and the church was hindered or stopped in reaching maturity. It was exposed to false teaching that came in from the outside. It was exposed to compromise because of the divisions. In a place where there's no unity, there's gaps for the enemy to come in. And then there was an unwillingness to submit or to learn from each other. And that's where, you know, we, where Scott did the, the talk to the kids, where we look at the different roles in the church. Some differences are God-ordained and for a good purpose. You know, Paul is specific in verse 11 and 12. He says, you know, he's, he, in verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building of the church. Did you notice that he gave? God gave the church those people. God gave the church the different gifts. He ordained them. And Paul lays out some good reasons, things the church needs. And when they would recognize them, when we recognize those different gifts and the fact that we need them, we need, like a school needs the gardeners, needs the admin people, needs the teachers, needs the cleaners. We need the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, the pastors. When we recognize those different gifts and we need them, then we grow, we mature, we're protected. And notice that... And I, it's implicit in there. Notice that you don't just need those gifts in the church. We need to recognize those gifts around us in people, in relationships, in family, in having people as mentors and coaches and people that grow us. When we're ready to allow God to minister to us, when we're ready to allow God to grow us through those different gifts in the church, growing is encouragement, exhortation and correction, then not only will we as individuals mature, but the church will mature. Our witness will grow. And Paul says that's what unites us. And in verse 13, there it is again. We talked about that last, night, last week. But in verse 13, he says, What's it for? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's that fullness of God again. You guys are part of ensuring that I, that we all reach that fullness of Christ. We'll be strong in the face of compromise. We'll be strong in the face of deception and division and more. We'll be equipped to do what God has called us to do as individuals. We all have individual callings. Did you know that? Try it sometime. Find out, ask somebody what you think um, I might be called to do. But we also have the calling as a church. With Christ as our head, held by him, we will be effective. You know, One Hope has been blessed with so many gifts and talents. We saw them this morning. Um, in a number of areas, particularly our worship team this morning, our kids' ministry. We have gifted leaders in so many areas. We have a gifted leadership team. Now, that's not pumping our own tires. I know I'm, when we talk to other churches and when we, we share with other people, we're just thankful for our leadership team. We have gifted leadership. We have a gifted music ministry team. We have gifted youth and youth leaders and young adult leaders and young adults. We have gifted people teaching and leading our kids we have gifted people in resource management and technology 
We saw that during our time in in, uh, people in mentoring, coaching, teaching, caring, practical help. Think of our care team. We have many gifted people in service. You get to sit on a seat most Sundays because someone came to put it there for you. And I'm sure you had a shot at it yourself one time or two too. We don't all possess all these gifts, but we all need them all. Each of, us, each of these was given to equip us right here, right now, with each other to walk out our calling. And those are what build up the church. This is what leads us to grow and to be a unified body. This is what helps us to stand against the enemy, who would love to see this church and the body of Christ, which is fail. There's nothing that would... You know, the enemy, someone might, you know, you've heard this before, Satan doesn't doesn't care that you believe in God because he believes in God. What he cares about, if you worship God, that's what he's attacking. Believe him all day because the enemy does as well. He knows him, been in his presence. But he does care if we worship him. He does care if we serve him wholeheartedly. The enemy would love to see the church fail. And sometimes that takes submission and surrender to each other, doesn't it? It takes a willingness to learn, a a recognition that I still have to learn. We all still need to learn and that you can teach me. You were given to me to help me stand against the, the devil's crafty schemes in my life. You were given to me to help me see my blind spots. Where I don't see the enemy coming, you might. God gave me and each one of us a lookout, someone to look out for us in the church takes a willingness to be humble, to be patient sometimes, to bear with differences, even celebrate them. Because we want to, we're eager. No more than one, we're eager to maintain unity because it's our witness to God's glory. In this church and in the body of Christ, God has indeed given us all we need. And when this happens, we grow up. Paul uses the word grow up, doesn't he? We grow up in every way. So it's not just the spiritual bits of our lives, but Paul says when we work together in unity, when we're in line, when we're walking in a manner worthy of our calling, we grow up in every way. So your career life, the way that you you have your social life, the interaction with your family in all sorts of ways, it's not just that you mature in the church, you grow up in every way. God is so all-encompassing. He's not just interested in your religious bits. He's interested in all of you. So much of our willingness to learn to be teachable has an effect on all areas of our life. In the end, Christ himself is the greatest example, isn't he? Example of submission, of of complete unity with his Father, preserving that unity with his Father and in the Godhead. His submission and the unity of the Godhead in purpose was what achieved salvation for us. Ultimately, without that, we would have been lost. And it brought glory to God. As we seek to be filled with all the fullness of God, unity in the body of Christ is the way that we display to the world who God is, what he's done, what he will do and wants to do in the world. Riches, we've heard a lot about those. We had three chapters of those and they were great. But they come with responsibilities to walk with each other in unity so that the world will see that Jesus, they see Jesus 
and that God will be glorified. That's what we're here for. That's how we carry out our call here with each other. Even though we're all different. Even though we think differently. That's how we celebrate with other churches, with the guys around the corner, the guys across Crossway there. We've got Hillsong. We're surrounded by mega churches, by the way. We're surrounded by lots of churches, but that's how we celebrate with them. We don't do things differently. We don't even understand everything the same way as they do. But we have the one spirit. We have the one God and the one faith. And we all have that one testimony to give, the God, give to the world. And we're all called to bring glory to God. That's our call as a church. You can help me do it. I can help you do it. That's why we're together. Amen? Let's pray. God, again, uh, your word is just incredibly practical. Incredibly um, open to us by your spirit to see what you're saying to us and why you're saying it. Lord, we're encouraged that you've called us together to be a body. We're encouraged that you've given us so many different gifts in this church. But we're also encouraged that you've given us with people with different cultural backgrounds, different ways of doing things, different understandings, and we recognise that those things enrich us. We want to thank you for every person in this church. We want to thank you for calling us together. We want to thank you, Lord, that you call us to unity and that you've shown us what you've done for us, each and every one of us. And you've shown us what unites us and you've shown us that that gives you glory. When we walk together in unity, that brings you glory. Lord, grow us up. We, um, we're thankful for all that you do, but we recognise we've got growing to do, each one of us as individuals and as a church. Grow us up, Lord, to be more and more a stronger and stronger witness of who you are. Lord, teach us to look out for each other. Teach us to stand against the enemy's schemes and, and the, the compromise and the things that often creep in. Help us to be each other's protection and look out. Help us to be people that build up the church worldwide, citywide, nationwide. People that celebrate when the body of Christ celebrates. And mourns when the body of Christ mourns. Teach us to be unified. Lord, I thank you that um, we can read further on and we can see that, that Paul had an enormous effect, that the Ephesian church was keen to, to understand and, and understand who you were and understand what their call was in Ephesus. Help us to understand it here in Scoresby in a real practical way. In our families in our workplaces, wherever we might find ourselves. And all for your glory, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.